We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Good afternoon, Courtney. Hi, Craig. How are you going? <laughs> I'm not too bad. How are you on yeah. this lovely Friday? Good, thank you. I am very glad it's Friday. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so we're recording this after our interview with the 100 Families Project, mm-hmm. which was our second time we've had them on the podcast yeah and it's been a really um good recurring uh interview i think they're all very informative and happy to be there and excited to talk about their research and it's really interesting to get the opportunity to talk to a project that's happening in real time oh yeah totally yeah Yeah, there's not many opportunities to actually do that so yeah Yeah. really cool so this project was um, essentially set up to try and help people who were kind of living in poverty Mm. for, for want of a better word and now we're talking about research that has happened specifically because of COVID. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it's a really interesting report that they've just released about how living below the poverty line and COVID have interacted and people's opinions about it as well. So, yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. And we're, we actually spoke to three different people this time we did. Than, the, than the last time. Uh, and you'll hear Susan in particular, who is, uh, I guess, a lived experience consumer mm-hmm. uh, who kind of advises the, to the project. Um, really interesting to get her insights. And mm-hmm. then Zoe, who's a researcher on the project, who wrote the report. Uh, and then Jennifer from Uniting WA, who is uh, involved with the NGO side of things. Yeah, and they all provide like quite different insights into how this research project has run over time and also um, how it influences them. So Yeah. Yeah. And they they did want us to clarify that it is actually a research project. It's not an intervention. Yeah. (laughs) So which might be confusing because Susan in particular talks about how much she's gotten out of just participating in the project, Um, but they don't actually provide assistance or that sort of thing to people. They're literally just asking them, um, surveying them and asking them how they're doing. Yeah, Um, so it's important to remember that um, Susan's on the committee for the research project so she gives um, insight into how to understand people's opinions and all that kind of stuff whereas Mm. technically they're not actually helping them out in any way so they're not you know giving them um, interventions I don't know like food and money and all that kind of thing there's no real benefit that way no Uh, but I think I think the that there are some sort of unintended benefits of people participating in the project. It's maybe giving them a bit of a focus and something to look forward to, contact yeah. with the research team um, during a time when they might not have been having contact with a lot of people. Yeah, during, exactly. During and I guess it also put um, in perspective, like they form their own group of friends and things like that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and the other thing that we also needed to mention is that the 100 Families Project is actually uh, quite collaborative in nature. So there's 10 partner organisations that we do need to mention. So uh, those 10 organisations are the Western Australian Centre, no, Council, Council of Social, Social Services, Services um, Uniting Western Australia, Anglicare WA, Wansley, Mercy Care, Jacaranda Community Services, Centre Care, Rua which is spelled R-U-A-H, and School of Global and Population Health at UWA and the Centre for Social Impact at UWA. So so that's actually our school uh, and it's usually pronounced School of Population and Global Health. Yeah, that's what I thought and then reading (laughs) that. But the other thing, like I always get them mixed up. So even on like official documents, I've got like Global and Population and then Population and Global. Yeah. You know, so we've maybe I accept either. <laughs> yeah, perhaps we're focusing more on the global at the moment, and so you know that's, that's right. That's why it's switched around. But uh, that's what we're talking about anyway. 
Um, but yeah, it was a really good conversation. It was. It was really good. Very uh, informative. Yes, and we cover quite a lot of ground, and, and we talk quite a bit about the impact that COVID had on people, and hmm. not all of it was bad. That's right. Some people have have done a little better during COVID times due to sup- various uh, Centrelink link supplements. And yeah, that which sort is of thing. nice to hear. I think. Yeah, and so yeah, the, uh, as you'll hear in the conversation, some of the challenges are, are yet to come. You know, as the government rolls back some of those payments for people. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, anyway, without further ado, let's uh, let people have a listen to our chat. Enjoy. Sorry to interrupt everyone. I just wanted to let you know of a couple of technical difficulties we had when recording this episode particularly with my microphone. Uh, So at the start of the conversation, it sounds like I'm in a different room to everyone else. Uh, And as the conversation goes on, my microphone was a little bit noisy. um, So I've tried to clean that up as much as possible. Uh, But just wanted you to know it's not your speakers and it's not your headphones. Um, And hopefully it doesn't detract from the conversation too much. And I'll let you carry on and enjoy this episode. Uh, So we'd like to welcome a few guests to the podcast today. So we've got Susan, Zoe, and Jennifer. So do you, would you guys like to introduce yourselves, starting with Susan? Uh-huh. Oh, hello, everyone. I'm Susan, and um, I'm on the committee for 100 Families. So, yes, I'm really happy to be here today. Yeah, yeah no. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, my name's Jennifer Snell, and I'm from Uniting WA, and we're one of the community organisations that have been involved in the 100 Families WA study. Hi, I'm Zoe Callis. I'm a researcher at the Centre for Social Impact at UWA, and I'm one of the I'm part of the research team um, for 100 Families. Yeah, awesome. It's great that you're all here today, um, and I think we are here to talk about the new report that you guys have released and all of the exciting research that you've all done, which is really really cool. Um, so, would the three of you, or one of you, I guess, uh, briefly explain? Uh, I guess, recap what 100 Families is and what they do and kind of what the aims are of that project? Uh, well, I'm happy to summarise yeah, it. Um, so in doing the research, what we're seeking to understand is the lived experience of entrenched disadvantage in WA and then we're looking at what policy and practice changes are needed mm. to try and address that. So um, as one of the community orgs, we're really excited about it because it has the ability to influence how we provide services. Yeah, awesome. And just to recap, who, who are the uh, people that are primarily involved in 100 Families? Who is the target of that? What, what, what sort of people? Uh, well, there. what we did was um, the uh, community organisations asked many of our participants in our programs if they would become part of the research group so it's targeting people that we know Mm -hmm. are accessing services because of um, particular system uh, sorry particular situations so it might be homelessness it might be financial difficulties it might be unemployment there may be any number of things so people, people accessing community services Basically, yeah. Yes. Yep. yeah. That, that's how I got involved mm. through mm-hmm. um, a family crisis situation and then um, I heard about the project and through one of the services and they said, would I like to go to the community conversation and 
I said, yeah, I'd love to try it. I thought it can only be a positive th step for me. And um, I'm still on the committee. Yeah. Suzanne, are you happy to, to share a bit about your circumstances and how you came to be in the situation that you're in? Um, well, um, yeah, I have went through a family crisis mm -hmm. and also some health issues. Um, and also having to leave my relationship and go to a, a woman's refuge. So mm -hmm. I had all these things that happened to me. It was sort of like a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. And it was just one thing after the other. And um, I basically had to restart my life all over again. Lost our house and everything. Um, and so now I'm a single mum. And I thought being on the committee was a positive step to help me re rebuild my life. And um, I also was living in a small town for 13 years. So it was a big part of my life. So it's taken me quite some time to rebuild all of that now on my own mm -hmm. with my daughter. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping I can um, do some more good things and maybe just help somebody else mm -hmm. with a yeah. little bit of hope that you can change even, you know, at the depths of your crisis, mm -hmm. something positive might come out of it. Yeah. So I'm so glad 100 Families was there for me right at that time I really needed it yeah. because I would have been more socially isolated than I have been because, and I've been on the committee nearly two years, so I'm able to have the opportunity to, to come to something like this. Mm -hmm. To um, It's helping me re rebuild my life, yeah. basically. I'll so, yeah. I'd say the project's a lot richer for having voices like yours. And mm -hmm. Well, I'm actually getting, yeah. you know, I'm developing my voice again because yeah. I had chronic fatigue. I, I couldn't speak. Right. So my voice is improving. Yeah. <laughs> I have my moments. <laughs> I have good days, but um, I definitely noticed a difference in myself, um, not with the social isolation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. me getting out, like it's a big day out for me to come to something like this because, oh. you know, it's really special. I get to put, dress up, put some makeup on, <laughs> yeah. and I'm out for the day. So mm -hmm. to get me out of the house from having chronic fatigue, it's a big plus in my life. Oh, and I, I'd just like to say that, you know, hearing that, they're the sorts of stories that we're hearing from all of the participants in 100 Families and the generosity of them in sharing their experience um, is just amazing and what they're contributing and helping us understand what actually goes on for them is enormous. So, yeah, mm. we're very appreciative. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of support for the project. I think it's uh, most listened to podcasts so far. The first it is, episode yeah. Did. So it's <laughs> so obviously a lot of interest in the community. So yes. it's great to hear. I was listening to it. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> it's very nice to listen so to. Hopefully we can happy. match that today. We're even better. At yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So one of the, the main reasons we're here today is to talk about some work that's recently, recently been done during COVID and, and some of the impacts of COVID on the participants in the project. Either Jennifer or... So are you guys happy to, to cover that? So we were actually in the middle of our year one follow-up survey when yeah. COVID hit. So um, we quickly went to ethics and said, look, um, we want to add some questions around COVID to see how people are being impacted by it. And also we want to be able to contact the people that had already completed the survey and also ask them the same questions mm -hmm. so that we could see how it was impacting families because it was um, almost quite, a good opportunity because we were already in contact with these people. Um, so 
yeah, so um, we got a group of interviewers who called everyone up and um, so we did the surveys by phone mm-hmm. or in some cases Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an important thing to note about the sample. So um, those for whatever reason weren't able to be contacted by phone or obviously couldn't complete the survey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we had 158 people do the survey, uh, 20.3% identified as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. Oh, that's a pretty, um, big portion. Mm. Yeah, that, that's mm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, and, um, 72.2% identified as female. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, mm. I, I've heard, uh, a lot about like surveys and how there's a big bias between, females and, and males answering surveys and who's more willing to do it and all that kind of stuff. Um, okay, so you, you called them up, you asked all these questions, um, pretty good sample size, I think. Uh, what exactly did you find? I think we found um, that people, that it had increased, obviously, had increased people's isolation. So mm-hmm. we we're already dealing with a group of people that, felt disconnected often from community and felt quite isolated. And so with COVID, with the restrictions that COVID imposed, um, it it further isolated that group of people. So they're probably really happy to hear from our surveyors, (laughs) I'm thinking, um, because it was a conversation and and that kind of thing. Um, But what we found was that there was a very high rate of um, depression, much higher than the norm. I think it was... 38.1% 38.1% felt depressed oh or anxious mm-hmm. most of the time the week prior to getting the call from the surveyors, whereas the norm in Australia is about 17.7%. Mm-hmm. So um, we were able to really highlight things like that, um, the financial worry of people because we weren't altogether sure about you know, who was going to get what payment. So um, people were really worried, what did that mean even for the security of their home? You know, mm. to w- were they gonna have a home? Um, the other thing that, that was huge, and I think even remains to some degree, is that lots of services, you know, we're all directed to kind of not shut down, but change the way that we worked Mm -hmm. and so for a while I think most of the community services were all scrambling trying to work out how could we maintain the the contact Mm -hmm. with our the people that we're supporting Mm -hmm. without compromising the health and well-being of our teams and so that was a really difficult juggle and so many services remain closed because if their head base is in the eastern states they're going on the rules are following what's happening over mm-hmm. there. So people still haven't got full access back to services. So um, that's been really difficult, I think, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Zoe, have you got more to say? Um, I'll, I'll just I interject and ask yeah. <laughs> just about the practicalities of that. So I'm assuming things like Zoom and these sorts of things will be utilised, but then not everyone has the internet and mm. access to a device. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think for us, certainly uh, in our organisation, I think most organisations, we became Zoom experts overnight. We had to. Um, so I think many of us were avoiding it. No, don't have time, don't have time. Yeah. Suddenly in one day we had to do that. Okay, we have to make time and we have to do this. Um, but, yes, as you say, technology is often really inconsistent for the people that we work with. So 
Um, even mobile phones, we don't always, you know, people run out of credit and that kind of thing. So even contacting people by phone mm. is difficult. Um, but, you know, I think we managed to find lots of ways around it. Mm. I think um, I think the experience of most people was that there was an effort to contact them. Mm. Uh, but things like um, food support became very hard to deliver because a lot of that's run by volunteers. And so many of our organisations found it quite difficult to say to volunteers, look, you've got to keep working. So a lot of really um, important services dropped for a while until we could find a way mm -hmm. to make them happen again. So fortunately, we've pretty much come back to normal um, now. But then, of course, we're all worried, I guess, now about the reopening of the borders and what yeah. that will mean, you know, whether mm -hmm. we, it will have another impact. I was actually having an interesting conversation with someone about that um, in that people in Western Australia are, like, super relaxed about <laughs> the dis social distancing and, you know, we don't wear masks and all this kind of stuff. So opening mm. the border means we're going to have to, like, relearn mm. those behaviours, which is going to be really hard. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Mm. Um so I guess what I'm kind of interested in is, like, what were the solutions that you did come up with for delivering food when you didn't have volunteers to do that or um, if people didn't have phones, you couldn't, couldn't contact them? Like, I have no idea. What are the solutions to that? Mm. I, I think most of the services um, we kind of dropped, lots of our staff ended up working at home, yeah. ha having to work from home. Um, but what we were able to do, so with Things like food, we were doing parcel drops to people's homes. Um, so individual services would take responsibility for that right. and take things out, leave it on the doorstep and go. Um, as far as getting in touch with people, yeah, really hard. Mm -hmm. Visits but then stepping back, not going into the house and almost... Um, doorway visits I suppose yeah, okay. just checking because we uh, work with a lot of families with children that are at risk and that kind of thing and so you know just being able to cite the children um, was really important uh, what was interesting was you know I think this this group of people um, that we're supporting and and what came out of the hundred families research that really surprised me was how capable they were in doing the home education mm -hmm. because oh. we heard on the radio so many people saying they felt ill-equipped and it was really hard and, you know, I have to use the computer and my husband does but then the children need to. Mm -hmm. And yet from this group we heard that they actually felt able to continue the home education um, not at all what I would have expected yeah. to have heard, but mm -hmm. they did a great job of that. So some really interesting things. Yeah, that's nice out to be involved, research. I think, a little bit in your kids' education yeah. if you've yeah. given the opportunity. It's very hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, I suppose that's a positive thing to be home with your kids. Absolutely. As well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and almost so a lot of our um, the participants in the study are studying and doing that kind of thing, mm -hmm. but they do t perhaps tend to spend more time at home with their children anyway. So it was less mm -hmm. of a shock maybe yeah. for mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. than it might so have adding been. on like 10 yeah. to 20% extra time with the kids rather yeah. than full days. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and I think it's online too, isn't it? Which is oh, a good, yeah. so many references mm. online. Yeah. 
yeah. which is very helpful. And I think the other thing, the COVID payment, people were really sensible with what they did with yeah. the additional money. Which is so good to hear. Like, yeah, yeah. so they, you know, they, they paid um, rent backlogs. They um, had their cars fixed or tyres mm -hmm. put on their mm -hmm. car where previously they would never have been able to afford it. Mm -hmm. But they're also able to get technology for their kids and buy the yes. computer and that kind yeah. of thing where previously they couldn't have done that. Yeah. So I think that probably eased the situation for them as well. Well, I don't currently have a car, so I was able with the um, extra supplement to get an Uber for my yeah. fortnightly shop instead oh, of having amazing. to go to the shops more frequently on the public transport because yeah. sometimes it was difficult carrying your shopping. So it made it easier. I go, I can do all my fortnight shopping and get the Uber home. Mm -hmm. And then and you've I, got more time. And then I can just maybe just pop to the shop across yeah, the road. Yeah, no, so awesome. it was fantastic. Yeah, mm, that, yeah definitely. that's really interesting. So what do people think about the fact that the federal government's announced, you know, a staged kind of rollback of some of the supplement payments? Is there, are you sensing like a bit of anxiety amongst your group or you know, what, what are people saying? Yeah, I start to feel a bit worried. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm feeling the old little bit of worry coming back mm -hmm. yeah. that I didn't feel quite so much during the um, extra supplement. So I don't want to worry. So I'm, yeah. I've just guess I've got to really sit down and really look at my spending again mm -hmm. and how I'm going to manage my money. Yeah. Um, I guess probably have to cut back a bit. And um, the worst thing is utilities, you know, not wanting mm -hmm. to fall behind too far. Yep. Um, because that can be a bit of a catch-22 situation with gas and electricity Definitely. because we use it so much. Yeah. Um, so I'll just have to sit down again and relook at my budget and how much I'm spending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming that there are participants in the program that may have been affected as far as employment goes that possibly might have been doing casual work or, you know, un, I guess unstable work, if you like, where they haven't got a... Um, you know, sick days that they can draw on and that sort of mm. thing. Have, have you? It would be very difficult for people. Yeah, I mean, have you guys noticed any differences there? I know that obviously the shutdown caused a lot of people to lose their jobs in hospitality, for example. Um, mm. um, it's a bit of a different one to answer because only well, when we surveyed them, only 31.6% of our family members were actually in the labour force. Mm. Okay. So uh, of that, 13.9% uh, were employed. 5.1% um, were away from work, 12.7% um, were unemployed and actively seeking work. So the remaining 68.4%, mm -hmm. they're like unable to work due to health condition or disability, um, home duties and caring responsibilities, um, being retired, um, studying and that kind of thing. So um, we didn't see as big an impact because people were in the study that they, they weren't actually working to begin with. Yeah. Um, in terms of positive stuff, some people did say that they actually got their job, their current job, and or got more hours um, because of COVID-19 related. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, that's some industries yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. need more people. In, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there were people that did say that they were um, retrenched or stood down because of the COVID-19 mm -hmm. pandemic. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, people weren't immune from it, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of I, people. I guess if we're looking at like thirty percent of the people of the cohort that do have a job, 
we can't really tell if it's a bigger portion or smaller portion than the general population because it would be quite a small yeah. number. Yeah. Um, so, so that's 30% of people who are in the workforce, but only 13% of people actually were working, the rest were looking for jobs. Is that right? So, um, sorry, I said that badly. Um, yeah, so 13.9% were working of the whole sample. Okay. Oh, okay, I heard 30. And then <laughs> right. 30, 30 were either... Yeah, either were, yeah. yeah. So the way uh, that's defined is like... Interesting. Um, if you're working or looking for work, so people that aren't right. looking for work or unable to work, yeah, like they're not counted. Yeah. Which yes. is kind of why like the unemployment rate anyway didn't sound as low as it should have because mm -hmm. when people stopped looking because um, it sounded like there wasn't going to be work and people weren't hiring and mm -hmm. all of that, they were removed from the labour force. So, <laughs> Right. Intricacies in how they calculate the numbers really uh, impacts uh, how we interpret them. Um, yeah, okay, that's really interesting. But so e even that, the 13%, Wait, 13% that did have a job? 13.9. Yeah, 13.9 yeah. that did have a job, a job. <laughs> of 158 people. It's, it's a really small sample. So mm. it'd yeah, be hard it's... to figure out whether they've been impacted more or less than the general population. I guess yeah. that was my point. We got there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like a, a good proportion of the group are studying in some way as well. Is that right, what you were saying? Um. I couldn't tell you the numbers. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, there are people so that they're in education. They're future labour um, force participants, aren't they? So obviously yes. the way COVID impacts the economy moving forward is going to be important as well mm -hmm. for those people who will be looking for jobs after they've got their qualification. Unless or, they're like true. us, Craig, and we never stop studying. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's, that's a job. So <laughs> 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 yeah. look, there's something... I think the anxiety that people are feeling, um, we would feel that too. If we were asked mm. to live below the poverty line, who's not mm. going to be stressed about that? Yeah. So there's something quite unconscionable, I think, now that we've um, seen the difference bringing people to a, a livable kind of amount of money uh, creates, it, there's something really unconscionable to mm -hmm. me about saying, well, okay, now you'll have to live back below yeah. the poverty mm -hmm. line. And, you know, through this time, what we have seen is that there's less, um, has been a less pull on things like financial counselling and emergency relief payments because people have enough money mm. to do, That's to pay right. what they need to pay. Basic necessities. And Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We actually did an episode with a financial counsellor from Midlass and she was discussing that with mm. us, yeah. uh, how things you know, had, are changing yeah. and they expect their workload to, to increase massively as these supplements get cut. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, yeah, it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. so did you guys see with, um, with those extra payments, people were using that money responsibly so they weren't buying things yeah. that aren't needed it was all so like it really yeah. supports the idea of having those payments yeah. because they were spending it on things that they needed rather than things that they didn't need i think so because yeah. i was um I, I could buy a printer yeah um awesome. that was important to me to set up a little bit of an office at home um because you know being on the committee i was doing some zoom meetings because, you know, we couldn't meet in person. Mm -hmm. So that was a big step for me yeah. to mm -hmm. try to get the webcam <laughs> and all that because then oh, yes. I'd have to, some, you know, rely on my phone because, 
you know, sometimes <laughs> technology is not always. But, yeah, no, that's really important for me to try to um, start trying to m remove barriers for employment for myself. I mean, I don't have a car, mm -hmm. so I've spent a year studying community services. Um, I would like to keep learning. And um, if they do drop the, um, you know, hours benefits too low mm -hmm. then I can't move forward in life and become an independent person yeah. and as a single mother um, I want to be a good example to my daughter as well so I'm hoping to remove some barriers for employment especially being older like you know over 50 <laughs> that's okay <laughs> but um, I'm hoping that I can slowly um, find something whether it's part-time a day a week two days a week yeah. Yeah. And I feel See, like that's such a good use of that kind of money as well is really. Yeah, just to, um, it helps. It helps yeah. you, um, it gives you more confidence to go and look for work. Mm. Okay, well, now I can get there. I can go there and present myself better and be more confident that um, I might be employable. Mm. <laughs> so let's hope the future's better. Yeah. 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 I think it, like what it did was it gave people like dignity and agency. Yes, like, dignity. It meant that right. you didn't, like so we had people say things like, I didn't have to borrow money from family and friends. Yes. I was able to repay debts. Um, a lot of people said things about like cars, fixing cars, oh. saving for a car, having some kind of emergency savings. Mm -hmm. Like it meant that people weren't having to rely on services mm -hmm. and um, family and friends, which because of the restrictions they weren't able to access um, and it kind of like, <laughs> I don't Having know how to enough food, it. you know. Ha yeah, yeah like, but meaning that you didn't have to go somewhere else to get something. I know, you don't want to put a strain on your parents or, or relatives yeah. and go, look, I haven't got enough food, but they might not have enough either. So yeah. it was putting extra strain on extended family because when I really needed the help, I'm, you know anything <laughs> yeah just need a little bit of extra food or yeah. apart from using services as well which have you know which is thank goodness they were there yeah. when they needed them I think this is a really important part of, of what we've found mm. because I think there's a myth out there that says everybody who's getting money from the government is lazy and just blowing it mm. on whatever. And actually this research showed us something quite different. It showed us that people were, as Zoe said, you know, paying back debt, paying off bills that they already had. Some people were paying rent ahead because they knew that it, they know mm. it's going to get difficult. Right. And so they're paying their rent ahead mm -hmm. to just at least keep a, a roof over their head. Mm -hmm. um, so... Some of them have put it away for a just-in-case, you know, emergency fund because they, That's again, right. know they're going mm -hmm. back into living below the poverty line. Um, so when you look at how people planned and, and used the money, it was really responsible. Mm. It, wasn't, it wasn't the way that we've kind of been conditioned to think. Yeah. People are going to use it. No, that's right. And having a stock, stocked cupboard full of food. Mm. Like I'd go to my cupboard and go, I'm set. I've got enough food for us. And um, mm -hmm. that was my main concern was yeah. not having enough food to eat. And then if your kids say to you, I'm hungry all the time, you know, it's yeah. a horrible feeling saying your kids coming up, oh, I'm hungry, what's there to eat? So having a stocked cupboard when you're not there and your kids are hungry, they can grab something from the cupboard and... Um, not have to yeah. worry that they're staying there at home and not having enough to eat, and um, especially as being, you know, I've got a teenager, so 
hopefully they can get their own yeah. <laughs> um, snacks and that yeah. <laughs> in the I, cupboard. I think it's a popular political narrative to rely on sort of kicking people who rely on benefit payments and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's and, detrimental. And, yeah, really. mm, and, to yeah. and to paint them as being irresponsible and whatnot when the truth is the vast majority of them have to get by on so little that they're the best money managers in the community, well, really. There's times where I had enough to get on the bus. I'd go, right, I've got enough one way. And there's times where I'd be in the city and I'd go, I've got to make sure I've got money to get home because mm -hmm. that means I've got to ask someone, <laughs> have you got $2? <laughs> right. um, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to think like that, That's but true, yeah. I'd have to plan, yeah. okay, I can go out today I can, and I can also return, yeah. um, have enough. Because yeah. I hate not being able to, you know, I'm really responsible. I hate yeah. not to have a ticket on the train or yeah. to be caught not having a, um, for it to be that bad. Yeah, and especially when it's not the result of anything you've done wrong. No, it's yeah. just, you're not a bad person. You're no. just in a, a tight situation financially. Yeah. yeah. Um, that can be very tricky at times. Now, there was a group so. that sort of got mentioned there um, in your description of the people that weren't in the workforce, which is people with disability. And I'm interested to know if you had any feedback on what they said happened with them during the lockdowns, because obviously a lot of them tend to rely on face-to-face -face services and, and maybe in-home support. Did anyone have anything to share about that specifically? We have um, a reasonably large disability support area um, where we, uh, we have homes with people, um, a group of people with disability in, and we're able to maintain services to those homes, obviously, because we rostered staff. And we, fortunately, our teams are really compassionate people. And so very few of them said, no, I'm not going to go in. Obviously, we had to take, you know, additional precautions and put PPE in the house. That was a whole difficult thing, getting mm -hmm. enough PPE and the right PPE. Fortunately, we haven't had to use it, so um, we've got that. But I think the, the people with disability who suffered the most are the ones that are in their own homes yeah. and then have NDIS services coming into them. Um, I think in many cases, I don't think it happened for most of the people we support because we've got a fairly big group of people to pull on to to go in there but even that's disruptive because then you've got a different person coming than the one that would normally come and there are obviously some people um quite a few actually i think in the community that have compromised health themselves and so they did have to step back and so we did have to put new people in so that that's a bit difficult. And I have heard that, you know, there were people um, with disability that were left without having that contact. Mm. But as far as I know, it didn't happen in our organisation. I don't think it happened across the orgs that yeah. are involved in the 100 families. Yeah. I think it should be noted as well that we've been pretty fortunate, comparatively speaking, in Western Australia. This is true. As well. Yeah. <laughs> I think some yeah. of the horror stories we've heard at the Disability Royal Commission yeah. about how things have been handled and, um, and the aged care as well sectors. Mm. I think we've been oh, relatively... Yeah, the poor aged care sectors. Oh, yeah. Yes. But again, in WA, there's no sense of reality, is there? No. Right. Really. We're no, we're so removed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm hoping, yeah. well, let's hope we don't... Doesn't get worse. Escalate. Yeah. yeah. But, yes. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Mm. <laughs> to wait and see. Yeah. yeah.
So I guess that gets us thinking about the future. So we've sort of covered some of the, the sort of key areas around education and financial stress and income support and that sort of thing. Um, but just before we move on to the future, was there anything else in the community service sector that was notable that came up in the findings? Yeah, maybe something like interesting or surprising. Yeah. Counterintuitive, maybe. It's okay, you can look at your notes. No, look, I, for me, um, Zoe's the expert when it comes to what comes out, but for mm. me, I, I just have been constantly amazed at the resilience and just the, um, yeah, the sensibleness of, mm. of the group of people um, how they allocated additional funds and that kind of thing, as we've said. I've just been amazed, really. And the other thing, I've really been amazed at how, because this could be interpreted as being a very invasive kind of study, mm. but but they haven't experienced it that way. I think for many people it's been a great thing to have a voice. I think such, you said it's that. It's such a relief. Yeah. Um, the relief of not the stress because... It's stress is one of the worst things to be constantly stressed about everything. Mm. So you're not really living. You're so yeah. worried about everything else that you don't have any social outings or, and, and you worry about your children not leaving the house. You know, yeah. my daughter says, Mum, there's a pandemic on. I said, well, someone's got to go and get food and that's yeah. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was, you know, I had to think, well, I've got to go out there and buy food. And in all um, this uncertainty, I suppose, how do, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. all a bit scary because no one knew what to expect, you know. And I, at first I couldn't find a mask or hand sanitizer, but mm-hmm. I managed to find wipes. And um, when I'd go and get my shopping, I'd wipe everything and then put it in the cupboard and just, I, I guess, because you didn't know about what the virus was going to do because it, there was that fear factor for me mm-hmm. at first. And then I had to stop watching too much um, media. Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. <laughs> I, kind of, I just said, we'll, we'll get through this, you know. And yeah. I guess, yeah, having the ability to tell your opinion yeah. um, and having mm. someone who's interested in your mm. opinion well, as my well. My daughter wasn't really leaving good. the house because, Mum, there's yeah, a pandemic on. I'm yeah. not going anywhere. I said, well, I'll <laughs> yeah. go get the food. You stay home. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of refreshing to hear a younger person with that attitude because oh, there were so many that didn't oh, have that attitude. Oh, that's yeah. my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Yes. So, um, obviously, this report's been released. Uh, has it gotten into the hands of decision makers and people who have the ability to to try and improve things or try and stop things getting worse? <laughs> have you sent it off to people? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have no idea. Okay. Um, we launched it. Yeah. Yeah. We launched it, and we invited um, lots of people um, that we hoped it might mm-hmm. influence. Um, some came, some not. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think it's like everything. It's slow. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, you know, the policymakers and that kind of thing, it's a slow process. Mm-hmm. So I think in many ways probably the onus is upon all of us to kind of lead that. Um, the service providers involved are champing at the bit, constantly wanting to know what is this telling us? What what do we need to do to change things? Um, so maybe that's where the first response will be is with service providers changing the way they're doing things in response to some of the information we've learned um, and then hopefully influencing yeah. policy change. Yeah. I'm assuming it's the sort of Department of Communities um, 
Department of Housing, perhaps. Uh, Which is also communities. Sorry, it's all, it's all it's, it keeps changing. The department now. Yeah. I know. I have a lot to do with justice and. Um, which is Corrective Services and the Attorney General. And it's hard to keep track of who's in charge of what. And Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't that change like every six weeks anyway? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if there's a new government, it'll get separated again. And, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so um, that super department's probably the one of the key stakeholders in this, isn't it? I would think so. Mm -hmm. I would think definitely. and But also justice. I mean, mm -hmm. because many... Um, through, you know, exactly as Susan said, you know, you get on a train... You can't, you haven't physically got the money because mm. you, you know, you, you live in below the poverty line. You get a ticket, you get a fine, they accrue. People suddenly end up engaged with the justice system, and mm. which is crazy. Yep. I mean, that's just It can craziness. happen quite easily if mm. by accident you get parked yeah. somewhere and go, oh, no, I didn't realise I had to pay for the parking yeah. there. And, or, or, or I just don't or, have the money. Yeah, to, or just and yeah. then you, yeah. you can't pay the fine back because it goes up if you don't pay it. That's, that's right. right. And then yeah. people are even worse off. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think, you know, all of those big government systems, I mean, the health system, yeah. we know that heaps of... Um, things were put on hold mm -hmm. um, and I think mental health, it was a real struggle for many people in our um, group to be able to access mental health services. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think all of the big government systems are involved. Yeah. yeah. And just trying to get somewhere, sorry, yeah. just trying to go somewhere and um, do something better for your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I've been trying to do, yeah. um, just try to go and study and do other things. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's just a touch on health again. Uh, so because we didn't actually we didn't actually talk about it um, in great detail. So people who do have high health needs, um, did, was there a sense of how they were impacted during the lockdown? I know hospitals were prioritising certain cases and mm. that sort of thing. Did you guys have a sense of how that changed for people? So forty percent of our sample had a medical procedure or appointment cancelled because of right. um, how they were prioritising beds and resources for COVID-19. Um, some services closed. Um, some family members themselves just didn't feel comfortable going and accessing these services. Enough, yeah. But then yeah. also on the because telehealth came in, mm -hmm. um, some people still didn't feel comfortable, like it wasn't quite appropriate for the kind of appointments they needed or if they had a procedure, obviously you can't do that over telehealth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so we did find that um, there was a – some people did have a barrier for telehealth, so they said they, um, you know, they either it wasn't offered to them or they didn't have the equipment itself because obviously we have a bit of a sample that had – probably had – was more likely to have the equipment to um, access telehealth, but at the same time most of our – um, interviews were over the phone. So if you had some kind of, um, not all medical appointments can be done over the phone. Yeah. So yeah. I know that there were, um, counselling became over Zoom and things like that. But even then, like that sound, that's actually really awkward too. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't know if anyone's ever yeah, had well, a therapy session that, over on Zoom, but it's, it's quite well, weird. I, I think like, the point is as well, like <laughs> telehealth, particularly in mental health, like it's been studied, but a lot of the research actually suggests that it doesn't improve things at all and people do find it awkward and all this kind of stuff. And we've just been forced into this world of telehealth um, with 
very iffy evidence about how it works. Um, so I can totally understand why people would feel awkward mm. and weird. And you've got like this person on your screen and you like, <laughs> you know them, but because it's distance, you don't really know them and you don't know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. understand. <laughs> or you just don't really have room in your house for yeah. a quiet private area. Because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the thing that, you know, a GP office or a counselor's office or mm. in provides it's privacy you're like, talking about your mental health problems and everyone's and there in the kitchen yeah. Like, yeah. yeah it's not just the conversation it's the ritual of going to a safe space yeah mm. yeah that's therapeutic mm. yeah just and in, the dialogue in the um in-depth interviews like the the more qualitative stuff we did find people would say things like mm. um it used the appointment used to be like something to do that day and then if you're doing it online it doesn't you're really not really like leave, you don't have to sort of prepare to go out mm. or anything you can like leave that. You so, put down the pants on and yeah, yeah. like it, you know, put your better clothes on, yeah. <laughs> get out there in the sunshine. And, mm. Mm. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting to hear that side of things because mm. I don't think a lot of people would appreciate that, yeah. especially people who maybe don't have high health needs or mental health needs. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think on paper it sounds like a really good idea, but I, yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling the evidence is. It's not there yet. No. There's yeah. things it's, to improve it. Yeah. I, I think it's a good um, low threshold way of getting people yes. engaged with mental health yes. services that need them in the first instance, but the real gains are usually made sort of face-to-face. -face. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes the one-on-one as well, you know, with a support worker. Yeah, definitely. Someone that is trained to mm. ask you the right questions to help yeah. you. So Pick up yeah. on the cues. And I think, yeah, yeah. and that's the point, mm. isn't it? Yeah. I think when you're in a room with somebody that's a very different because you're seeing the whole person yeah. whereas if you're just seeing them on a flat screen you can misread mm. you know they can say something and you kind of go oh okay that's how it is whereas <laughs> if they were delay, in the room, isn't it? it's that delay yeah. thing. it's like you don't want to move too quickly and yeah. but yeah. if they were in the room you'd be looking at other things mm. too yeah. and yeah. reading other yeah. cues that would yeah give on you. a computer you won't be able to see their foot no. tapping and things like yeah. that yeah no mm. yeah. but also just the environment that having to go somewhere else that isn't your home mm -hmm. and it's usually quite a neutral space like and being able to speak freely yeah. um mm. it's it's a whole different thing to having to do these kind of appointments at home yeah. Yeah. and um in a way that's i mean we i'm um, have to say we they are in-depth interviews and no in no way counseling at all that was yeah. purely research but um there were people that chose not to continue when we had to move to zoom and things like that because right. it just wasn't the same mm. over the phone or people were less comfortable and i mean that's not health but mm. it, but it's still it's that social outing and it's like a thing mm. that you're going to and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah so it's, it's related even though it's yeah pure mm. research rather than counseling yeah that's it. I, th I think that's probably the people who probably did the best in lockdown were the ones who were able to have a routine a strong routine mm. whereas a lot of people's routine is traveling somewhere traveling back again making appointments etc take that away from people then all of a sudden they're sort of mm. in their pajamas then till midday or the afternoon yeah exercising. and i think yeah that's but that was noticeable you know yeah. across yeah. perth actually so. <laughs> yeah. yeah all right well, so let's have a chat about the future and future expectations challenges hopes like what do people think moving forward based on you guys have done some brilliant work here. Mm -hmm. Obviously got some great voices involved in this project, a lot of um, experiences. How do we use that and 
you know, what's, what does the future hold and what, what do we need to be aware of? Well, we've all gone quiet. Yeah. 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 I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess um, as I said, I just think, you know, there's often a lag, isn't there, between research and then mm. watching things come into effect. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my hope would be that the organisations involved will really take this up and be promoting it with the various government departments um, because I think there was lots of stuff we assumed but we didn't know for sure um, and I think this research has absolutely validated what many of us thought was going on for, for people but it's also raised a whole lot of new stuff and now it's being captured. Now it's... Um, it's real. It's not an assumption that we're all just making. Mm -hmm. We can reference the research and say, you know, this is what was discovered and this is why we're pitching our services the way we're pitching them. So um, I think it's a great opportunity for all community services to and government departments to have a look at how we're mm -hmm. doing things. Um, but, again, you know, it takes time. Um and I think also, you know, the COVID research, I think we haven't really had that experience of mm. what it's really, really like to be um, to be in the situation that even Melbourne was in, mm. let alone the UK or America or somewhere. That's right. And so, you know, there's lots of learnings in this, I think, that we could maybe, how are we going to change people's access to the health system? You know, now we, we know telehealth isn't, grabbed with great joy mm -hmm. by people so there's a real opportunity there that if we do end up um entering into some sort of you know second or maybe even first wave of covid because mm -hmm. we haven't really had a first no. wave um maybe there's a lot of learning there for us to do i think and, and do things a bit differently mm. um moving forward for me I, i'm hoping that I can keep moving forward and find employment, whether that be one day, two days a week. Um, I think I've got lots to offer and um, I'm hoping that's something in the future mm. that I can move forward into and yeah. be okay <laughs> doing yeah. that and, well, and getting there. I'd say participating in projects like this, oh, your net, your network will yeah, be I'm developing. Yeah, I'm so grateful so, yeah. for the opportunity and um, yeah. for the project. Yeah. Um, like I said, I would have been much more socially isolated a bit prior to the COVID-19, also going through um, rehabilitation, you could mm -hmm. say, after crisis situation, mm -hmm. um, being on my own with just my daughter mm -hmm. and having to reach out for yeah. services because that's the only way I could do that. I needed some help. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I was very grateful for all the people I've met mm -hmm. along the way. So, yeah, definitely great. Yeah. And I think perhaps the other thing is that um, maybe some of the study that has or the research that's occurred has highlighted other areas we would like to know more about. Yeah. Um, I, I think it could lead to a lot more. I think there's a lot more we could kind of follow up on. Yeah. yeah. It might even give you sort of specific things to focus on that have come yeah. up as well to target the research maybe. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Mm. Any final thoughts or comments before we wrap up? No? No. We've said it all. No, just yeah, thank you for <laughs> this project. And yeah. um, uh, Alex told us to mention um, the website as well. 
to okay. uh, for all oh, yeah. the listeners okay. to please go and support our website yep. and like and our Facebook yes, page. Yeah. 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 So I've, been putting, yeah. I've been sharing it on Facebook yeah. and I just put please to my friends, could you please support or like yeah. um, 100 Families Project. We'll have for it people in the that notes know. For, our, for our podcast. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put a link. Hopefully they yeah. will. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Mm. All right, Susan, Jennifer and Zoe, thanks very much for your time yeah, today. Thank you. It's been really great. Wonderful. Thank you. And we'll look forward to welcome, welcoming someone from the 100 Families Project back again for another update. The next report. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So that was our conversation with the 100 Families Project. Yeah, super interesting. Um, I, yeah, they all have really good insights into their research project and um, there's some pretty inform interesting information that we've gotten out of that. Yeah, a really good discussion about the sorts of challenges that their group has. Yeah, I, I admire Susan for her story. I think it's such such an interesting um, story and we talked to her, well, I talked to her a little bit beforehand so I got a little bit more insight into the challenges that she's faced and, oh, boy, it's mm. it's a tough one. So she's done very well to, to yeah. get where she is now. Yeah, hearing her story was, was pretty touching actually. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like she's in a better place than she was. Absolutely. So long may that uh, last. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And also now doing like such good work that will impact so many people as well. So, yeah. Yeah, it's great. This is a really important project and uh, I believe that there is some more really interesting work happening, um, probably more of a qualitative nature. Mm, so mm -hmm. we've got that to look forward to and hopefully we'll be able to bring that episode to our listeners in the new year. Yeah, and um, if you want to see what they're doing, they do have a website that's got all of their reports and research and upcoming news and things like that. So that'll be in the notes of this episode. Yes, along with our contact details, which are? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, our Twitter handle is at health means what. Um, so please tweet us and we will get back to you uh, if you have any ideas. And we also have an email address, which is meaningofhealth at outlook.com. Yes, yes. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Very well handled. <laughs> anyway. um, yeah, so email us or tweet us. Um, uh, with any ideas or if you just want to say hey that's cool too um, yeah. we'd like to hear from you all yes and uh thanks once again for listening yes and we look forward to bringing you the next episode soon see you then the meaning of health podcast is produced with the support of the school of population and global health and the education enhancement unit at the university of western australia the podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Weber with music by Craig Cumming. Mm -hmm.